I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is one of my with one of my new favorite people in the universe, Marcy Hume. She's a director, she's a filmmaker, she's a storyteller, she's a magician, and she's got a whole truckload of passion when it comes to uh, a whole lot of things. We have this really wonderful conversation about a lot of a lot of relevant uh, topics. Really, we talk about perspective, and we talk about others. We talk about magic itself. We talk about uh, our voices uh, and 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 how we can change and shift the conversation through things like filmmaking and through the simple uh, notion of, or well, not a notion, but the sim- simple, profound perspective shifts that can occur through a, through a magic uh, a trick. And so uh, we, we, we talk about philosophy and existentialism and philosophical patterns, and, and we just have a grand old time. And I, I can't wait to do part two with Marcy. I think you're going to love uh, the conversation, but more importantly, you're going to love her new film called Magicians, uh, subtitled Life in the Impossible. It premiered at Hot Docs this year, and we're going to talk a little bit too about the release of the film coming up soon, uh, theatrical release coming up soon, distribution release. Um, we talk about belonging. I mean, holy cow, we, we cover a lot of ground in this this interview, so definitely stay tuned. Check it out. Uh, also check out davidpecklive.com for more information on my podcasting, speaking, and uh, my publishing. Thanks for joining us today. Marcy Hume. Well, welcome to Face to Face. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest today, I think all the way from L.A., actually, a documentary filmmaker, Marcy Hume. Marcy, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. I'm so excited to talk to you. So you're right You're right off the red carpet at Hot Docs. Uh, is there, actually, is there a red carpet at Hot Docs? <laughs> I don't know Marcy? if documentaries, documentaries are on the way up, but I'm not sure. The, I think, I think they're, the red carpets are few and far between, but it's, I think they exist. It's sort of a, a lighter orange and probably needs a good dry clean. Is that? Yeah, and of? you have to lay it out yourself. But <laughs> it's it's, you've got to bring your own red carpet. Exactly. Yeah. It's a metaphor and a literalism. That's right. Yeah. And the film uh, is, is, was and is Magicians, and the subtitle is Life in the Impossible. 
That's right. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, real quick, just tell tell us all how how it was received and how exciting that must have been for you. Oh, it was extraordinary. I think um, with anything that you've worked on that long and and had so many ups and downs with, um, to see big audiences you know, view it and react to it and come up to us afterwards and speak to us about all these different aspects of it was, of course, it was, you know, incredibly life affirming and to hear everybody's different reactions to magic and to life as a magician and all the different sort of themes within the film was just, you know, it just kind of keeps you going. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, documentary is so self-motivated for most of the time that that that's, you know, the real treat is to get to sit with these in these big auditoriums and listen to everybody respond. Are there are there any groupies in hot doc in in doc, documentary filmmaking? I don't know if there are groupies. I mean, I think when you're I think it's just like anything when you're in the public sphere and suddenly you're up on stage in front of 400 people, then people get very excited about it temporarily, but then <laughs> you go right. back to your room. <laughs> that's that's right. Yes, there's no there's no George Clooney effect at a documentary film festival probably. If, yeah, it's very it's it's very brief and uh and it's I I never really I mean, if anybody is like that though, I don't think it breeds real conversation or interaction if anybody gets overly well, excited got, in that way. I got stuck once at TIFF in Toronto on Front Street trying to get to the light box and some star and I, uh, Benedict, uh, Cumberbatch, I believe. Yeah. And I was walking along, no kidding, minding my own business. And it was like a swarm. Uh, well, it was a swarm of people, but it was just the way I was enveloped. It was like this big hot fudge Sunday just melted around me. And I was, <laughs> I was, I couldn't move. It yeah, was, I, I am. It, I've been. It was scary. Fascinated by behavior around celebrities. When I was um, a youngster out of college, I worked in off Broadway theater, and we'd have celebrities in all the time. And I would watch the kind of behavior around celebrities, and it's really its own form of human interaction that does not breed any kind of real connection, but it's just it's very animalistic and primal it's in weird. a way. So just to just to beat this one to death here a little bit, did you sign any autographs or did you just have to take <laughs> or did you just have to take selfies? I did sign a very limited number of autographs. Yeah, it's all um, selfies from, now, right? Film, I think they were kind of film school kids. I mean they were very sweet and I uh, liked it very much. But I think the real great part about that is when you learn, I think we all have to learn this, how to have real conversations with people, you know, after screenings or performances when there's this, sometimes there's a strange sort of power dynamic going on. And I think learning to cut through that and cut to the chase and talk about real ideas is a real power. I want to, I want to talk a lot about a lot of things, Marcy. I'm going to, I'm going to just quote you now. I hope you don't mind. But when we first sort of connected on, on email, you said that one of the things that you wanted to talk about or thought that we might talk about was quote, why first world character docs still count as instigators of social change. And, and you put an exclamation mark there. Um, <laughs> it's a great, it's a, I, I mean, I agree, like you're preaching to the converted here, but tell, tell me more about that. I mean, it's fascinating that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, this documentary is, I think the world of documentary as it should be is very focused on social issues and giving a voice and a lens to populations that aren't on, you know, normal media outlets. Um, and certainly, you know, not in kind of American scripted movies. And, and that is, uh, profoundly important thing. But I think there is, there has to be a kind of voice for 
um, things in our immediate world, topics and people in our immediate world, because I think ultimately what we do in documentaries is open up our minds to other perspectives and, uh, and they give us empathy and, and real understanding of other things that are going on around us. And I think it's, it's just as important that we have that perspective shift for things that are in our immediate world. You know, I mean, we still don't treat each other very well as humans and that's not just foreign, you know, countries and other cultures and religions and whatever else it's people in that are right next to us. And, and I think documentaries that address topics in our immediate world are, are really relevant and needed for that reason among others. But I think it's it's significant. You know, we need our brains to be uh, to be sparked in that way. Do you, so I probably was raised to think that documentaries were the kind of movies that you watched because you wanted to know something. Yes. That, you know what I mean? Like, you're oh, I'm going to watch a, a documentary about the oil industry or about how the fitness craze has taken over. And so it, it really wasn't necessarily a relational piece. It wasn't, or at least that's the way I was presented. And, and so I've so I've come to understand and to see and to know documentaries in, in, in such another light. I mean, this, like you said, this is about empathy. It's about, isn't it, isn't it, Marcy, isn't it about becoming uh, better people in a way? I think, I think we become better people by having more, understanding of of other humans and ourselves and i think that is what documentaries can do but i I think you're exactly right in that you know there are many sort of schools of thought in documentary but but certainly culturally i think most of us grew up thinking about documentaries as just being informational and i think that's become that's become a real i don't know if it's a problem but i think it's actually a sad thing in documentary right now that people focus on the topic and they pick documentary as a kind of default of a way to explore a topic. So people say, you know, I'm interested in the concept of somebody actually said this to me once they were like, Oh, I'm, I'm making a documentary about traffic and traffic patterns. And I thought, okay, well, what, what's the story? How are you telling the story? Sure, sure. You know, and they're like, well, I'm going to interview some people. And, it, and it's kind of become this, uh, a kind of watered down version of what I considered to be an art form. I mean, I think, and I think hopefully a lot of people do, which is that you are, you're crafting a story and an experience and a way into a part of the world for people. And it's not, it shouldn't be just a default that you sit down and interview a bunch of experts and slap it together and, and call it a documentary. There needs to be other layers of aesthetic and truth and exploration of deeper themes to make it an impactful film. Well, otherwise, I, otherwise you yeah. just end up with a really long corporate video, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that happens all the time now. And you, you see, you know, I mean, I feel like I can spot it a mile away now from the way people talk about their projects. And I just think, oh, they haven't thought this through at a deeper level yet. And I think it's a real loss because I think, you know, now, you know, because of, of technology and more self-distribution platforms, anybody can make a film, which I think is really is great. And yeah, sure. It's a great thing for the potential of documentary. But I think on the other side, we somehow need to do a little reality check of the fact that a good topic doesn't make a good documentary. And we have to figure out ways to kind of, you know, if, if you want to have a good film out there, you need to have all these other elements come together of filmmaking because it's a visual medium and it, it isn't 
you know, an essay where you just get to kind of talk about a topic that's so much more than that. So you talked about a perspective shift a couple of minutes ago and, and, and sort of that, you know, docs as being instigators of social change. I mean, I can't think much of a better metaphor than magic, uh, you know, exactly. to talk, you know, to talk about perspective shift, because that's really, I mean, you know, I, I can't remember exactly. It might've been John, uh, John Armstrong, one of the magicians in the film who, who, who said, we, you know, we don't know everything, you know, and, and you'll hear magicians say that all the time, right? This whole idea of, of, of wonder and, and mystery and, and going beyond scratching the surface and so on. There's more going on than meets the eye, right? Right, right. And I think, you know, I'm sure people do this all the time, but I have this default where I relate documentary to magic all the time. I mean, probably because they're my two biggest um, loves in life, but, um, you know, apart from humans in my actual life, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, and, I, yog I think and I yogurt covered raisins. Come on. <laughs> and any sort of ice cream product. Okay. That's okay. third on the list. But, um, Let's just clear that up right now. Yeah. But I think you're, I mean, that's exactly it. I think what drew me to magic is the same thing ultimately that drew me to documentary, which is a sort of um, a profound perspective shift. And mm -hmm. I think those those are the things that keep us alive. I mean, they're the things that keep our minds alive and and keep us finding new ideas and experiences and and get us out of you know we're we're sort of built to fall into patterns of thinking yes. and patterns of experience and and I think we need to take a strong hand in making sure we don't constantly stay in those patterns and and magic and documentary both have this sort of infinite potential to provide that that shift for us well, I think too, it, it kind of comes up in the film and, and having, you know, been there myself doing magic for years, one of the frustrations I've found is, I love your phrase, by the way, built to fall into patterns because you didn't go the whole DNA route because I, I don't, I don't <laughs> like that deterministic edge. Oh, that's yeah, just, you know, right. it, 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 it absolves us of any kind of responsibility, right? And it takes question, a choice out of, out of the conversation. But, but um, if we are sort of built to fall into these, these kinds of patterns, when, when, when you vanish a coin it seems more often than not, people immediately want to know where it went. Right. And so instead of staying with that moment, you know, indwelling it, uh, enjoying it, it's an immediate, oh, quick, uh, we got to get on Google and find out how that's done. And, and, and as a magician, that used to drive me nuts. Yeah. It used to drive me crazy. And it kind of comes up in the film a little bit but not a lot. You really, you really uh, clearly consciously spend more time, I think, with the mystery than you do uh, uh, with, with the solution, I guess, if, if that's a way I can say it. Oh, definitely. I, I, well, hopefully we spend no time with the solution because I think, you know, the only flip side of the, the kind of mystery for us was exploring what it takes to reach that mystery mm. and, and, and different ways of, of doing that because ultimately that's what, committing your life to being a magician in, entails, right? It's like chasing down, well, hopefully it does for, for good magicians. It, in, it involves chasing down different, different inroads to that experience for people. And I don't know, I, I, I mean, it annoys me too when people just default to wanting to, to discover method. But at the same time, I think for some people, that's part of their process of deepening the experience, I think, you know, if they go through that and they need to find out, and most of them obviously don't really find out, or if they find out, they, they find out a very cursory sort of aspect of it. But 
um, I think it ends up deepening the unknowingness of it. And so, so people like you and I have to just kind of grit our teeth and get through that moment <laughs> so, and, and, and trust to know that they're having that experience. Of, I can't, I can't, Marcy, I can't tell you how much I, I mean, I enjoyed the film. So first off, I mean, first off, we're already 12 minutes into the interview. Congratulations on the film. It's lovely. It's compelling. And, and I hope everyone sees it, um, including magicians, by the way. Yes. Um, but I loved that moment. And I think it was with John again, John Armstrong at the Comic-Con convention where, uh, a father and a daughter, maybe he does a little bit of magic. Yes, and I just uh, I'm getting a little shiver, and it's just so you you just capture yeah. the moment so well uh, because I, I actually don't think magic and TV mix too well. Magic in the camera, it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit difficult, right? It is. It's it a is bit difficult, tough. and we we tried to address that in the film. I really like this and I don't know if it's really going to stand out to anyone or not. And maybe it shouldn't stand out so overtly, but we, we address it when David Minkin's talking about wanting to do magic on television. He very overtly says, you know, you, if I do something in this room, you're going to be amazed by it. But if you see it on television, you know, it's, it's sort of easier to ignore and push away. And, and as he does that, he sort of demonstrates this extraordinary levitation for us. So, right. um, so I think we try, I, I wanted to really address that on the nose because I think, I think something that I've sort of fought for in a way is that is the worth of filming magic, because I think it's, it's, there are very strong arguments as to why it should never be televised and it should never be on film. And it's, and I think they are valid arguments, but at the same time, there's there's something that can be translated and that's what we tried to do with this film I and mean, we worked on besides the narrative of it we worked on the the filming of and the and the kind of editing of the magic so much because it we wanted it to come across as this organic part of their lives but mm. also really wow the audience and you know that's why we kind of opened the film with somebody doing something extraordinary in their bathroom because it's it, that's what the, i think the power of film in that instance gives you that context of doing it in a kind of bizarre environment. Well, what's, what, what, yeah, yeah, what's so great about that is the redefinition of extraordinary, right? It's extraordinary. I mean, here's this person doing magic in a bathroom. I don't think you get more banal and, and uninteresting than that. Right. And, and yet that is what's so fascinating about life. I mean, to me, that's life in the impossible, but it's also life in the possible, right? Oh, definitely. It's, it's, go I, I, it's yeah. going on it. It's going on on all levels, all the time, whether you at the bus stop or in the bathroom or on stage. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, this happens in probably all of, you know, across the arts of any kind, but I think in magic, it's this extraordinary um, kind of paradox where you have access to the greatest <laughs> potential of the human mind to experience something extraordinary. I mean, I really, I, I sound a little grandiose when I talk about magic sometimes, but I never, you know, I never fail to believe that magic has this sort of infinite power and potential. And, and, you know, you have this world that magicians have access to, and then you have the day-to-day -day life of, of being an artist and being a hustler and, you know, making all these pieces come together. So I think in the film, visually, there's a real opportunity to to deal with that and to show that both visually and kind of emotionally with the subjects. Why? So, so it's sort of coming out a little bit in our conversation, your obvious, <clears throat> your obvious love for, for, for the craft, for magic and so on. 
why why a film about magic and not a film about tulips <laughs> a film about tulips i wonder what the angle on that would i'm not be. sure I'm not i would sure. challenge you as a as a uh, new documentary filmmaker to really think about what <laughs> that's right David, David, where's the arc? Where's the arc <laughs> where's in the narrative story? Arc? Yes. That's three. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, it, it was, I actually, when I first started thinking about making this film, I thought, and I, I said to people I was talking to about it, that I was going to wait 20 years because I thought, well, maybe in 20 years, I'll feel like I have a really deep understanding of magic because okay. I think it just takes, I think it is, I feel still sometimes at that place where I have access to 1% of it. Right. And I, and I don't mean in terms of literature or methodology or secrets. I mean, I mean that there is so much in magic and so much potential that it's like the deeper you go in, sometimes it feels like the more there is to explore and, and to figure out. And so I was like, Oh, yeah, like in 20 years, I'll make this magic documentary. And then, uh, and then somebody at the Magic Castle was like, "You just need to do it now. You just need to use what you have now and and do something now because what?" And I and you know, as a kind of um, practical philosophy, I sort of thought, "Well, you know, I guess that's probably the right thing to do." And I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not, but I mean, I'm I I think the film I would make or will make in twenty years would be very different. Mm -hmm. um, but oh, of course, but. Uh, but this was what came out of the time that I was there and starting to film. And, you know, I'd been studying magic for some time, but um, I don't know. This is, this is what emerged out of this time in, in my life with magic. And it, it serves, you know, one, uh, well, a couple of big purposes, which, you know, for me also is, is giving people a general audience insight into magic and, and a little bit of what it is to be a magician and hopefully changing that mentality a little bit sure sure so so you're you're concerned about the perception of of what the magician is or what the magician's life is to others i am yeah, yeah because i think it distracts from magic mm. and i like the idea of sort of fighting that tooth and nail you know like really sort of doing whatever it takes to show people the other side of things and show people because i think ultimately if they have stereotypes about magicians, then they're not open to magic, and that is a real loss. So, is it is it the wonder for you? Is it is it the mystery? Did you see like for me, honestly, for me, I I was about six and I saw a magician at a church, a woman, which is really interesting, a woman dressed up as a bunny rabbit pulling. <laughs> 25 feet of, of of tissue paper, which I've now come to know as a mouth coil, out of her mouth, <laughs> and. To this day, when I do a kids show, when I work for kids, I will still do that sort of as an homage to her. Yeah. <laughs> but also yeah. because I know of the impact that it had for me. So talk about a beautiful metaphor for planting seeds for change, right? Oh, God, I mean, absolutely. It, not, it knocked my socks off, you know, and and that's an understatement. And I'm getting a little shiver as I talk about it here with you. So, oh, me so, too. Yeah. It so, never ends. It never ends. Yeah. So that was it for me. And then, and that just shifted things for me magically. What, how about you? What, what, what pulled you in? Um, I, I, for me, it was just seeing one, you know, one effect that for whatever reason, I think I just hadn't been exposed to magic. And I think I was 27, 26 or 27. And I saw something and I, um, 
it just was like a switch flipped and I just was completely could not do anything else except investigate what magic was. I would think about magic and like dream in magic. And I, you know, <laughs> I would try and think about, I would try and define these things to myself. What it Michael what was. Lamar kept making these strange appearances in your dreams. Yes. <laughs> God, it's so weird. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day what it's like to dream in magic and I don't think <laughs> I can really articulate it, but hopefully other people have that too. But, um, but, you know, and I was at the time trying to define it to myself because I think ultimately magic is potentially a very, very, um, I guess, intellectual art form if if you want it to be. I mean, it is for me, for sure, because I think it taps into all the important parts of how we experience the world and just what human life is. I mean, it really does. It touches every corner of that. And so, you know, it, when it started for me, it was just, you know, and I spent a couple of years really just sort of thinking about magic and, and, you know, studying it a little bit on my own and kind of figuring out my own view of things. And I think that was really good. I mean, you know, as an, an adult and, you know, coming at it without a big magic community to kind of sway my thinking, because <laughs> right. I think that's the opposite of mentorship and magic, which we were talking about before sure. we started podcasting, um, uh, that, you know, the opposite of, of mentorship and magic is kind of being affected by this community of people that has its own kind of amoebic opinion about things that I think can be very dangerous and, and, um, non-productive. So how, how would you, how, so you've clearly hung out with a lot of magicians now over the last few years, uh, studying, uh, fascinated by, and, and making the film, how would you describe magicians? Well, I have selected my own world of magic. That is mm. what I think being a magician is. And I don't think that it, I don't think it's in some way the, the real truth or, you know, I, I, I think that I have, I have a world of m magicians around me that I work on magic with or talk about magic with who are what I want magic to be. Mm. And I think everybody probably has that. I don't think there's a lot of, within magic, there's this kind of infinite world where there's not very much cross-contamination, as right. it were, I right. think, at times, you know? And you kind of hang with your your people. And and because it's also kind of a cliquish world, too, with this weird hierarchy that's yeah, sort it's of... True. Lame. I mean, you know, and I, and so, but, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I have, I've built my world of who I want to talk to about, you know, who I want to talk with about magic and who I want to influence me and who I want to influence and in their performance and their thinking about magic. So, um, so that's a long way of saying that I wouldn't want to characterize magicians yeah. because my view is still very small. Well, I think, I think you're right. It's really quite a nuanced and layered community. That is for sure. I mean, I, I was at a recent event where there was about 400 magicians in the room and just seeing, you know, those cliques, those groups of people, the older performers in town, the guys doing the card magic, the, there's, there's, there's the historians, you've got the storytellers, you've got yeah. guys who have never actually been on a stage you know, who, who've been doing magic all their lives. Yeah. But they've, they've not really performed sort of in the real world, if, if you will. And then you got your pros. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like the circus, uh, w without maybe, uh, all the animals or something. I, I don't know. It's, there's, yeah, it's, I guess I've always been so reluctant, you know, it's only recently that I've kind of come to grips with the fact that a lot of people really do come to magic when they're young and, they use it as a sort of social crutch. And I know that's a sort of just overt, probably fact about the population, but I have just, just um, denied that 
fact <laughs> for a long time because mm-hmm. I didn't want to think that was the case. And obviously, it's not the case across the board. At the same time, I think there's probably a proportion of the population in magic that does adhere to that. And I don't know if that's, I mean, to me, that still seems like it's probably a normal part of any child population, you know, kids and teenagers coming into some hobby. Like, I think that's probably how it works, you know, with anybody of, of that age who's socially vulnerable. But, you know, at the same time, I'm sort of even just now opening myself up to the idea that some of these sort of cliches have a basis of truth, but also I've been quite happy to ignore them because I don't know what assessing that really gives us in magic, mm, you know, you mm. have to pick what you focus on. Yeah, it's there's definitely something there. John certainly touches on it, right? At, at, yeah. at near the beginning of the film, and when he talks about um, you know being a geek and the geek chicness. <laughs> right. right, I know, I love that part. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. And I have a friend. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend over the other night who's not a magician, and he used the phrase "the geek shall inherit the earth." And yes. I just, I thought that was. I mean, I, I'm sure it's quite the saying out there in the real world I've never heard it a bit before but you know laughed out loud and 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 then he went on to give me this argument as to why that's the case and he talked about comic books and about video games and all these things but but there is um some some truth to that I think and I wonder there was a sense in this film you know and I can't remember who it was I think it might have been um just going to really scan uh my notes here quickly but somebody I think it was Brian who talked about finding his way back home Mm. And I've just, I've always loved that about filmmaking in general, actually, and the whole art, art in general, you know, for me, I've, I've tried to, um, you know, uh, I've tried to describe my own brokenness, if you will, my own, mm. uh, uh, you know, um, emotional, uh, um, a lack of well-being from time yes, to time. I call it the darkness. The darkness, the darkness yeah. yeah. The spiral downwards, whatever you want to call it. Um, being this inability to find my way home and and wanting to be at home. And 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 we all define that, I guess, a little bit differently, I suppose. And I don't, I don't mean within the four walls. That's not what I'm talking about because I think we can be at home driving a car. Oh, yeah, of course. Right, right. And, and I, I don't know if you were going for that in this film, but I definitely got a sense. And now maybe it's because I felt a level of commiseration with these guys that maybe the average viewer wouldn't just because I've dabbled for many years as well. But, but there was, yeah, I don't know. Is it okay Absolutely. to say an, an existential sadness or something? I don't know what it was, but. Sure, of course. And I think that aspect of, of kind of finding a home in magic is, is very overt in, in, you know, certain parts of the movie, especially um, in certain areas towards the end. Um, and, and that's the, you know, and I think the process in documentary making often is that we, you know, we're, we're sort of observing and filming and talking to people and you see things emerge in people's lives and you kind of go down a certain thematic pathway. And I think that was something that was, was always emerging with a lot of the, you know, well, at least two of the subjects in our film, you know, that, that magic did provide a home. And I think, I think that's so, that's so applicable outside of something like magic or even outside of the arts, because I think most people don't feel a real sense of belonging. Mm. I mean, I think that's very hard to find. I mean, I sometimes ask, this is like, you know, sometimes we'll ask people like, Oh, have, have you found your people yet in the world? Because it's like, it's people, people know, I think usually if they, they feel like, and most people I think say, say no, because it doesn't feel 
you know, it's hard to find a kind of network of people that really feel like they get your view of the world or your philosophical outlook or or your way of living or whatever it is. And I don't think that magic is an easy home for for people, but I think it can be definitely kind of the best case scenario out of, you know, not a lot of... (laughs) So, so let's, let's go down that route a little bit here, if you don't mind. So existentially, so the existentialist would say that the magician is actually running from something the, because they, they've, they've found a home in magic, uh, because they weren't able to, um, you know, they, they, they weren't able to run into that freedom of not belonging. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, uh, yeah. And I think that that is probably more to me what emerges in the film when you, when you talked about an existential sadness, I think it's more of that, um, that sort of running from the void. Like, you know, there, there is definitely, um, a sense that they, some of the, the subjects at least came into magic because there was this kind of, um, I don't know, lack of foundation, behind them and sure. it was something yeah. to kind of sprint into for sure and i think it's it's a it's a warm welcoming world that oh, that can it. kind of consume you so absolutely um, yeah. but i also think you know in in that sense of kind of you know uh you will have to correct me if i'm wrong about this in terms of you know in in kind of the nihilistic view it's like you ultimately meaning doesn't exist. We're creating meaning. We're creating, you know, that oh. kind of what, what the purpose of life is in the sort of positive spin on it. And I think that is what has, you know, ha- that's what magic really gives us. I think as, as a, as an art form, it gives us that sense of our ability to create something that feels powerful and meaningful and, and that our experience of the world is can be so stunning and and really give us this power in the unknown in the lack of answers because that that for me is what is my sort of number one feeling with magic that I cling on to is that is the um, is its celebration of the unknown well well and and I'm going to go with your subtitle of the film I mean that really is a post it's a postmodern subtitle it's a postmodern statement right i mean isn't isn't that what we're all trying to figure out like how how the hell do we get along in the impossible because really at, at uh, there are answers out there but but they're they're through lenses they're through filters they're we're we're, we're not going to figure it all out yeah, right definitely. and so we do have to find our way home or at least our version of it and magic might be a part of that and 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 maybe mathematics will be a part of it for some and mm. and 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 but i think for me life in the impossible has to be rooted in relationships and and i think for for me magic even though for some of the guys in the film and for many of the magicians i know it's acted as almost a fourth wall between them and relationships it's also right. given them access to to hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that they they never would have been introduced to you know uh, had they not picked up a pack of cards definitely and i and i think there's well i actually really want to address two points of yours i mean one one is that back to you know that kind of question of um that question of life and the impossible and the fact that, you know, we will never have certain answers. And I think for me personally, that was always a very difficult aspect of life that, that, you know, these, the sense of kind of meaning and truth and all of these, these sort of concepts that feel very built into us, we don't really have ready-made answers for and, and the nature of our existence. And I think that is what magic 
really can do is give us a very powerful, explosive sort of joy in being in that unknown. I think yes. magic in that way serves as almost like an experiential m metaphor or an experiential way into loving the unknown and yes. being okay with yes. the unknown. Being, being okay with it. Being at, yeah. hey, how's this? Being at home with the unknown. Yes, right? but that's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. And that's yeah. what, you know, ultimately I'm striving to do yeah. Same. as a person. Same. And, and I think... I think most of us are, Marcy. I really do. I really, truly believe that. And I think that's where, you know, just to go a little existential, that's why most of us do run from our freedom because we're, we're, we're pissed off that we can't have answers, right? Yes, and, yes. And so we're, what do we do? We run away from it and we, we fill it with something else. Yeah, and I think the instinct to fill it up with something else is, is just what most of life ends up being because, because it is terrifying. You know, the absurdity of life is scary and and... Um, and so, but I, I'm, I want to make sure I address your other point though, which is that I do think, you know, magic is a way, as you said, of ultimately massively connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, John Armstrong says it in this really, one of my sort of favorite moments in the film when he's talking about, um, not being able to connect you know, sometimes being, uh, not, it's not not being able to connect. It's like being scared of the intensity of the emotion that magic can create. Because ultimately, you know, magic taps into this real, real intensity within people, this real intense experience. And that can be a lot, you know, you're creating that for people and you're kind of with them and that experience. And that's, I've been overwhelmed by that in performing something for people where they are so blown away. And it's scary to me that they're going through this experience that I remember really well, because, you know, I only came to magic as a, as an adult in my twenties. So I remember how floored I was and, and it's, it's intense. It's an intense way of connecting with people. So I think that's, that's the other side of the weird, you know, well, kind of and what, social stereotypes. And what a beautiful, what a beautiful way to create memories. You know, uh, and even if what I love about magic is I've, I've loved hearing people talk about an effect that I did years ago that I know that I never did. Oh, I love that too. And, and so the memory clearly res something resonated and what resonated was the feeling that was created. And that to me is remarkable. Yeah, but I think it's it's even more than I, I feel like you're almost underplaying yourself <laughs> that moment of what you're giving them because it's not just. A nice memory is it it's a it's like a moment in the best case scenario and hopefully a lot of the time it's a moment that will never make sense to them mm. it's a moment mm -hmm. of of really knowing that they don't have the answer and not being able to fake it and not being able to and not being able to know and and it's it's out of kilter it's it's sort of off the normal framework of not knowing it's in this other kind of special world and i think that's something that is so unique well and whether and whether they like it or not there's a profound sense of humility in that right yes definitely or at least we I, hope there is yeah and i think that's something that i didn't we didn't address in the film on the nose because there are obviously a, a literally a million things that could have been addressed but i think you know that's the fact that technology is becoming such that we feel like we can have answers to everything constantly in an immediate way this is something that you know magic is something that will give people uh, the uh, bring them back to the inability to know 
and, Mer- and that kind of not knowing. Marcy, do you, do you define success differently now after the film? I mean, I, it's interesting. Each one of the stories that you follow here, each, I would say each one of these performers has a different idea of what success is. And, and, and in some ways, maybe a few of them have had to settle and are, but, but at the same time are working incredibly hard to make this work. Yeah. I don't know if my idea of success has changed because of the film. I mean, I definitely think in the film, it's the film shows you and sort of solidifies the idea that success is really in your experience of your world. You know, I mean, I think we, we each are only, you know, the success is, is a sort of feeling of achieving something that was important to us and measuring it. And, you know, I mean, this is incredibly obvious, but you see people who are successful in a worldly way that feel none of the joy out of that. And then people who just have a life that where they revel in ideas and conversation and are philosophers. Congratulations on that point. (laughs) Being a philosopher Um, and live, you know, and have found ways of, of, you know, not only being successful in a worldly way, but just living in a world of ideas and relationships in a great way. So I I just think it's so incredibly subjective. And I think you do see that in these people in the film. So is it so, okay, can, can I, I, maybe this, I'm just trying too hard here, but, but, and and we're (laughs) going to, we're going to have to wrap up soon. Sadly, I just can't believe how fast our conversation has gone, but, but, um, is it really walking out of the theater? Is it, is it about finding the possibility in the impossible? I think it is in the sense that I think for the general audience, I think it is, I think it feels impossible to, you know, there's, there's this kind of, I guess, meme in, um, in the States at least of like really, you know, uh, achieving your potential and being able to do anything you want to do. It's kind of this American dream model that I think sort of, is makes makes life actually more difficult because there's this idea that you can do literally anything. And I think that idea takes people down a notch. A lot of the time, I think people feel like they're never really fulfilling their potential. And I, I think, I hope that this film um, has started to do for people that have seen it is kind of give you that feeling of achievement in something that does seem impossible and being able to truly access that. So it's not that kind of top line story of like, Hey, you can do anything you want. Sure. Kid, you can be a magician, but like actually coming at it from the foundation of what do I want to do in the world? What do I want to access and achieve and create and really being able to get at that? Even if on the outside, it looks like a pretty rough life. I think I think one of the things that that I love, and again, uh, just maybe 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 our thread here is that existentialist edge in, the, in 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 not only the conversation but the film. But there's this, you know, there's this cho- there's these choices that each one of these performers has to make, and some of them are re- you know that come out in the film. The few that we we actually do see are, are pretty life changing, and 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 a couple things really turn these guys' lives upside down. And to me, sure, we're all a part of that. But but I think there's this there's this level of commitment that 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 bubbles to the surface in the film that's pretty profound. And I think I think that's something that I'd like to think people will take away to say um, th- this is this is a part. I mean, you really got to commit. You got you got you, you got you to take the plunge, right? Yeah, I think on a very sort of uh, I guess 
basic experiential level, I think in seeing the film, you feel able to, to commit and to wholly commit and tackle something impossible like that, like being a magician, which, uh, you know, is, is an example of, you know, and, and there are obviously this sort of infinite other ways that life can seem impossible and, and that a certain path that you want can be difficult. So I think, I think on a feeling level, I think you do hopefully walk away feeling like those things are accessible and there's a way to navigate it and that you've seen people kind of go through that same experience. Great. Greatest trick you've ever seen. Oh man! I know it's. Do you a want me to be magic about it's it? It's a ridiculous question. It's like, how do you want me to describe it? Well, I'm. I was always really obsessed. I don't know if it's the greatest trick I've ever seen, but I'm obsessed with PK touches and oh, a checks okay. routine because I just think it's so. I this is so magicy, but I'm just gonna say it anyway because it's just fascinating. Like when you talk to people about what their first reaction was when they when they you know discovered the method or whatever, it's just this real it really messes with your mind. I love mentalism. So there are so many okay. things in mentalism that I think are really profound, but that, that one, I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> That's right. You. People right now are trying to search the name. How did, what did she say? Banna? what? How do you spell yeah, that? I, I don't know why I'm, I'm telling you cause you told me you're a magician. So now <laughs> I'm going right. to, I should describe it from an effect. So what's, I don't know what like the greatest effect ever. I mean, I just love, I love anything in magic that feels like, that that feels like you really are tapping into mm. someone's you know mental and emotional experience yeah. of the yep. world. No, and, it's, it's good, and I, it can change. I mean, it can be like the lamest effect that we've all seen a thousand times, or not even lame, but just like a classic that's really good. Yep. I mean, it could be you know, for example, like an invisible deck or something, just used in a way that makes you feel like that person has just accessed their own potential or their own like sense of love for the world or whatever that is. I know, be, you, so know, you, you know, when I know, I, you know, when I know that I'm not becoming too cynical is when I see a friend of mine who's talented, a, a, a variety of friends of mine to take a coin and vanish it. And I still feel the same way that I did 47 <gasps> years ago, you know? I love uh, that. Uh, yeah. Love yeah. 40, 47 so. years ago, I would have been three. So that wouldn't have been possible, but a long time ago, and yeah, they're they're just it's it's beautiful, it's brilliant. There's something just so inherently um, um, <laughs> magical about it all that really it's it's delightful. It's it's it, there's a beauty to it, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but hopefully we've instilled enough uh, mystery and wonder in, in in our audience to get them out to see the film. So so a couple thoughts about what's next. I mean, are we going to wide release soon? Uh, what's your next film? So are you going to do the film about tulips or? <laughs> That was a great idea. I wouldn't want to steal that from you. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. Uh, so yeah, we're we're talking to. Uh, this is going to sound very industry. -y. These are, but it's very plain. We, yeah, but we you're from LA. You're from LA, so we. Expect I know. That. I mean, just, uh, but but we're figuring out distribution this week. Really, I mean, we have we need to make a call in the next couple of weeks of of who we're going with. We don't have any, like, you know, we're we're just really excited to pick the best option of getting the film out far Absolutely. and wide, and that's the goal. So we're figuring out the best route to go down for that. And, uh, and then as, as far as the next thing, I mean, you know, I work in television full time. Um, and that is a whole other kettle of fish. And at the same time, you know, I'm working to get together the best next sort of indie doc and live more in that world as well. And that's my sort of 
um, way that I've navigated this <laughs> industry. And uh, so I have a bunch of things that I'm sort of thinking about for the next one. But, you know, you got to be so ready to do it. You have yeah. to just be so ready because everything will come down on you and tell you that you can't do it in documentary land because people don't, I mean, people don't have a frame of reference for what it really takes and, and nor should they, no, nor should everybody yeah. have that idea. So you just have to be ready to like put on your suit of armor and go for it. So I'm, I'm kind of regenerating and getting back to that are. point. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're kind of proving the putting of the film itself. I mean, that commitment, we were just life in the impossible, right? Yeah, you, 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 it you, is. You've lived it. How, how long did the film take? Uh, about four and a half years. About four and a half years. Start to finish. Well, you know what? This has been a delightful conversation. Congratulations on four and a half years of incredibly hard work, but I, I hope you are encouraged uh, because it's a great film. And, and again, I hope everyone sees it. Magicians, Life in the Impossible. We've been talking with Marcy Hume, the director, probably a producer, writer. Yeah. I mean, did you do like a little bit of everything? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> My filmmaking partner and I shot most of it and, you I know, know you did. did a lot of editing on it. You do what you got to do. Well, thanks for your time today, Marcy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I loved talking to you. Thanks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.